a very simple question. All right, this is one of those questions when you talk with the person next to you. Okay, that's how we're starting today. Simple question, yes or no. Should the wicked be punished? Yes or no? Say it next to the person next to you. Should the wicked be punished? Yeah, we're at the end of the book of Jonah. You're like, I'm not sure what the right answer is on that one. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends. Yes or no is the two the two options, people. Oh, you people getting technical. I know, I know you. Let's pray as we open up God's word. Lord, we're going to look at your word today. We're going to look at your word a lot. We're going to focus on Jonah chapter 4, but we're going we're gonna to depend on you, Lord, to make sense of your word. We're depending on you, Holy Spirit. Now we recognize that your word is inspired, and we're depending on you now to inspire the reading of your word as we hope to chew on and digest what you have for us. Please, God, speak to us. Amen. Well, today is our fifth and final message from the minor prophet Jonah. And as some of you have been in and out for various reasons, and, and uh, hopefully you've caught up on the internet if, on, and watched it online. If you've missed a sermon or two, I encourage you to continue to do that. You can go on our YouTube channel and uh, see sermons that you've missed. There's also on our website, you can just listen to the audio version of the sermons if you want to. But today is going to be our last sermon, our last message in Jonah. So turn to Jonah chapter 4, and our study of Jonah for the past month, it, it has been for me, and I hope for you, um, maybe unexpected, maybe a bit challenging, maybe not what you thought we were going to do. I mean, I've heard a lot of sermons on Jonah from a lot of pastors, and they're kind of the same. And I, I always, when, I, when I've always listened to sermons on Jonah, um, just as a regular person, not a pastor, when I've, when I've always listened to them, I've always kind of thought, you know, I'm not sure that feels, it doesn't feel right. Like what you're saying, it doesn't seem to grasp what's really going on in Jonah. It's like pastors take the easy way out sometimes. And I'm not saying Pastor Mark that I remember some specific sermon from you. I'm talking about like way back when I was a kid. And it, it just seemed like there's a really easy way of interpreting Jonah, but it doesn't always seem like it's right. It's like, well, Jonah was a really bad prophet, so don't be like Jonah. That was, that was, it's kind of the, the cookie cutter Jonah you know, sermon. Don't, don't be like Jonah. He's, he's a bad example. And I've been trying to show you in the past four weeks and now today, I don't think that's right. Did Jonah do everything right? No. But did Jonah do everything wrong? No. And in fact, I've told you before that all of the other places where Jonah's mentioned in the Old and New Testament, he's never mentioned as a failure of a prophet. He's always mentioned just as a prophet of God. I mean, Jesus himself compares himself to Jonah favorably. So, this positive image of Jonah, you know, it would be a lot easier for me to understand if Jonah would have ended at chapter 3. Do you remember chapter 3 and how chapter 3 ended from last week? 
But let me give you the synopsis. Jonah finally, after the, the fish barfed him out, bleh, right? That's what happened. It says barf. I mean, it's, it's vomit, but, you know, that's the same spew chunks. I don't know. Whatever you want to say, that's what happened with Jonah, okay? So Jonah gets barfed out on the shore, and, and what, what's the next thing that happens? Well, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, and Jonah's like, okay, I'm going to Nineveh. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he gave them a very short message. You remember? In Hebrew, it's only five words. In English, it's eight. And that message was Jonah chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. That's five words in Hebrew. That's the whole message. And the Ninevites believed it. They believed the message. And then they repented. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Well, then chapter 3 ends, and this is where I just wish Jonah would end. The whole book, I just wish would end with verse 10 in chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Praise the Lord! They, they were evil, they were wicked, and Jonah, and he, he was wavering a little bit at the beginning, but he, then he, he followed God's word the second time, and he went to the Ninevites, and they believed God, and they repented. Yay! God accepted their repentance, and everybody lived happily ever after. You say false. You are correct. Everybody did not live happily ever after. And today's story is going to be how Jonah did not live happily ever after. We'll get to the rest of the non-happily ever afters next week. Let's read Jonah chapter 4, shall we? This is one of those chapters where you better buckle your belt just a little bit tighter because it's going to be a challenge. Jonah chapter 4. But, now just, did you remember chapter 3, verse 10? You remember how wonderful that was? Chapter 4 starts with the word but. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I do think that's how Jonah sounded, by the way. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made for himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? 
I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? End of the book of Jonah. What a terrible ending. Lord, that was a terrible ending. How am I supposed to preach an ending like that? Help me, Lord God, because that's really bad. Have you not taken a writing class? Don't you know there needs to be a conclusion and maybe a little epilogue at the end, but not this, not this. What is this? <laughs> you know, one of the skills that I have found helpful as I read Scripture over the years is I look for repetition. So here's a little handy skill that can help you read the Bible with more clarity. Look for repetition. Does anyone see any repetition in this chapter? Now, when I see repetition, one thing I like to do, I used to do it with highlighters. Now, I read my Bible almost exclusively, almost exclusively on my phone, and I can just highlight in different colors on my phone. Okay? Totally nerdy. Works great. So, what I like to do is highlight with a different color when I see repetition. So let's just go through it. If you happen to have highlighters with you, I would like you to highlight in your Bible, and it's not sacrilegious to highlight in your Bible, okay? You're trying to discern God's Word in your life. That's what the Bible's for, all right? So let's just look at a couple repetitions in this chapter. Okay, repetition number one, in case you didn't notice, Jonah is angry, angry enough to die. Right now, let's just look. Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. There it is right there. Better for me to die than to live. Right? Chapter 4, verse 8. And when the sun rose, God provided the scorching east wind, the sun blazed, and Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. And then look at verse 9. At the end of verse 9, I'm angry enough to die. Now, have you highlighted those? Three times. Jonah says he's so distraught, so angry that he wants to die. That's pretty angry. I've seen some people in the past year and a half that have been about that angry. Angry enough to die almost. Really? Angry enough to die. And then, what else is there for repetition? Oh, by the way, the Hebrew phrase, he became angry, in Hebrew, it actually says, burning as with fire. That's the Hebrew for he became angry. Burning as with fire. Nice. All right. Now, more repetition. Here, here you go. God questions Jonah about his anger. Did you notice there's repetition? Uh, verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? And then in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? You see that? Repetition. If there's repetition, it matters. Okay? In Scripture, when there's repetition, it matters. Take note. Highlight it. Underline it. Use a colored pencil. I don't know what you need to do to, to bring it out. And then I also wanted you to know something maybe you didn't notice. Maybe you did. I want you to see 
all of the places where it says God provided. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a vine. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Isn't that interesting? He provided the worm. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Interesting. And the one you might not have noticed was also in verse 10. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. And of course, the implication there is unsaid, but it's there. Who did tend it and who did make it grow? God the provider did, not Jonah. So what in the world is going on with all of this repetition? I mean, this is not a long chapter of Scripture. Did you see? That's like three things repeated, two things repeated, four things repeated. I mean, this is like ten verses. That's a lot of repetition. The key to understanding this strange chapter of Scripture that provides what is seemingly an unsatisfying end to the story of Jonah is in understanding what God is up to in this conversation. Notice again the interaction between Jonah and God in verses 4 and 5. Now, this is important, okay? And you may have missed this, but this is important. Verse 4, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Now, look at verse 5. But Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Here's the thing you may have missed. You ready for this? The Lord attempts to initiate a conversation with Jonah, but what does Jonah do? He walks away. Jonah purposely chose to walk away from the conversation that the Lord God himself initiated. That is important. You see, Jonah doesn't like the question that the Lord asks of him. And the question is, have you any right to be angry? So instead of engaging God with the question he doesn't like, he just goes the other direction. He just doesn't respond. Jonah is so angry with God that he makes a conscious decision to not respond. And instead of engaging God in the dialogue that God is inviting, Jonah goes and makes a pathetic little shelter and sits to wait and watch for Nineveh to be destroyed. By the way, what was the message, the five Hebrew word message? Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed, but on the first day they repented. I think Jonah's planning on hiking and then camping out for the next 39 days to see. He builds a pathetic little shelter on the side of this mountain because he's going to wait for 39 days. This is not a good plan, right? By the way, have you ever done this? I bet you have. Has God ever confronted you about something in your life? Like maybe a bad attitude that you might have. Or maybe a sin that you just let hang around your life. Or maybe you're just too prideful to admit something that you might be wrong about. 
oh, did, did I get too close to that one? I wonder what Pastor Jason's talking about. I'm not going to say it because the Lord's much better at bringing that to mind than I am. <laughs> what do you do when God attempts a dialogue with you? What do you do when God attempts to engage in a dialogue with you? What do you do when God flicks you in the ear? What do you do? Because there's two choices to when God engages you in conversation. Choice number one is the choice we see Jonah making. Nope, I don't think I want to talk about that. I like that particular sin. I like that one. Everybody sins. <laughs> Can't be perfect, right? I'm just going to hold on to that one. I'm just going to hold on to that little one, right? It's okay. It's not a big deal, right? Or, or you know, I might be totally wrong about something, right? But I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong now, not after, not after I've taken this stand. I'm just going to keep on it. Can I give you a tip? When God engages you in conversation, please be real. Some people, you, you, you think or we think that in order to engage God, we have to do it in a certain way, like with really flowery language. I know people, when they pray, they slip into the King James Version. If you don't talk in the King James Version normally, don't talk in the King James Version when you talk to God, Okay? That's dumb, right? When you engage with God, be real with God. Don't, it's amazing to me when people are really angry with God, they don't like, express their anger to God because they think somehow that would be wrong. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like most of the Old Testament are prophets being upset with, with God's choice of doing what he did. That's a whole lot of the Old Testament. Like, have you read the Psalms? I mean, God, you've stricken me, and I, I've been defeated. Remember that? That's David, right? Come on, guys. Be real when you engage with God. Don't put on your fake Christian face, whatever that even is. Be real. Oh, When Jonah makes the choice to ignore God's question and refuse dialogue with God, what does God do? Look at verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Of course he was happy about the vine because his shelter was so terrible that the sun was still on his head. How bad of a shelter is that that you made, Jonah? Right? That's a terrible shelter. I love this. I, I mean, this is fantastic. What? What God does is so great. And as a, as a guy who was a youth pastor for 10 years, I love this. You know why? Because you know what the vine is? It's an object lesson. I love that God does this. This is such good preaching. This is such good preaching. Object lessons are great. Um, God himself, the creator of the universe, does an object lesson. I love it. An object lesson is a striking practical example of a principle or ideal. So in youth ministry, here's a good example of an object lesson, okay? Little tube of toothpaste, you give all the students a little tube of toothpaste, 
And you say, okay, squeeze the toothpaste out. So, so they go like that, right? Now there's a big glob of toothpaste. And then you give every kid a toothpick and you say, now put the toothpaste back in the tube with the toothpick. Right? That is what it's like to say a painful word to someone and then try to take it back. Dang, that's a good object lesson. You make the kids try to stuff the toothpaste back in the tube. You never get all the toothpaste back in the tube, do you? Oh, that's what it's like to gossip. That's what it's like to say mean things to people. That's what it's like. It's an object lesson. Hey, all, the vine is God's object lesson to get God's point across. So if you're wondering what the world's going on with the vine, by the way, what did God provide? The vine, the worm, and the scorching wind. Just like a youth pastor provides the tube of toothpaste, right? And the toothpick, right? And you see, what, you see how this goes? And the explanation. It's an object lesson. So look at, look at the way this works. This, this is amazing. Chapter 4, again, verses 8 through 9. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, and here we go. Remember, here's what happened. God asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about Nineveh? Jonah ignored the question. So God made an object lesson, and then he asked the question again, but this time inside the object lesson. You see, you can talk to teenagers all day. You shouldn't talk bad about people. You shouldn't gossip. Blah, 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 blah. And teenagers are like, yeah, whatever, right? But you do the toothpaste thing. And they go, yeah, that's hard to get back in there. Oh, oh, I, I got that. I got it now, right? That's Jonah. That's what's happening right here because God asked the same question again. Look what, Jonah, look what God says in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry, but this time about the vine? And what happens next? I do, Jonah said. God got Jonah to respond. The object lesson of the vine was able to rouse Jonah to respond to the question he wouldn't answer the first time. That's good. That's what object lessons do. They break through the surface to get down, to get people to respond and realize the bigger reality that's happening around them. God does it here. And Jonah, he responds. And he, he says, yes, I'm angry about the vine. I'm angry enough to die about the vine. And then what does God do next? Verses 10 and 11. But the Lord said, and here we go. God has now been invited into the conversation. He's invited Jonah, and Jonah has responded. So now God gets to say his piece. And this is the whole deal. The whole deal of the book of Jonah is right here in the last two verses. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their 
left hand from their right. And many cattle as well. Remember the ones that were bleeding when they were hungry? Remember those? And then God says, the last word, should I not be concerned about that great city? Here's the lesson of the book of Jonah. So if you're going to remember something, here you go. This is it. This is the thing to remember. I'm going to say it right now. You ready? Remember the Creator's perspective. Remember the Creator's perspective. Why was Jonah angry? Jonah was angry because the Ninevites were not destroyed. Jonah wanted them destroyed. Do you know why Jonah wanted them destroyed? Because they deserved it. They were evil and wicked and terrible. And they, more than even just being evil and wicked and terrible, they were evil and wicked and terrible to God's people, Israel, Jonah's people, whom he loved. They were evil and wicked and terrible to Israel. And Jonah loved his people. He didn't want his people destroyed by the Ninevites. I mean, think about this. This is Jonah now. God, you said you're going to protect your people. God, you're on trial here because, because you're supposed to protect us from them. It's us and them. You said you loved us. We're the ones following your law. We're the ones doing things right. We're the ones making sacrifices. They're just a bunch of evil, wicked monsters. You're supposed to kill them. You're supposed to kill them and protect us. Do you understand? Jonah had a legitimate beef with God. He was not a bad prophet. He was speaking up for his people. And he was using what he understood about God to make his argument. Prophets, after all, I said this in the Timeline Small Group last month, prophets were like lawyers. They made a case based upon God's covenant. Jonah's making a case against God himself. You said you would protect us. Kill them. That's what you promised you would do. This brings us back to the very beginning of chapter 4. Let me remind you in verse 2 what Jonah prayed. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Boy, that sounds familiar. You know why? Because everybody that was anybody in the Old Testament said that. Look at Moses, Exodus 34, 6. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. David, Psalm 103, 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. David again, Psalm 145, 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Joel, Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. 
And then Ezra, even after, even after Jonah, Ezra in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, 17, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Anybody who was anybody in the Old Testament said the same thing that Jonah said. Do you remember the sailors from chapter 1? Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call in your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Maybe. The sailors didn't know God. They thought maybe God will have mercy on them. And do you remember the Ninevites, what they said when they repented? Look at chapter 3, verse 9. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? Compare that with Jonah. Jonah says in chapter 4, verse 2, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish, because Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. The sailors hoped, maybe. The Ninevites hoped, who knows, maybe God will be compassionate. Jonah knows God's compassion. And that's why he disagreed with God the whole time about this plan to offer repentance to the Ninevites. Jonah wanted strict justice. The wicked deserve to be punished. And God wants to give Jonah and us his eyes for the Ninevites. That's what God wants us to learn from Jonah as well. God wants us to have the Creator's perspective. Are you bold enough to ask God to give you His eyes and His heart for the wicked, terrible, evil torturers of this world? Should the wicked be punished? Yep, they should. Can I give you a bigger should than that? Should we have the Creator's perspective about the wicked? There you go. The Ninevites were ignorant of God. They didn't know Him. They didn't know their right hand from their left. They were doing evil, but they didn't know God. Jonah knew God. God simply asked Jonah to tell them what he knew about God. That's it. It wasn't complicated. Five words, remember? Forty days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's not right, is it? Forty days, and Nineveh will be overturned. 
one way or the other. Oh, and now for the word that is very important. Look again at verse 2 here. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Can I talk to you about that word love right there? In Hebrew, you might recognize the word hesed. It's pronounced, pronounced hesed, H-E-S-E-D. If you've done any studying in Hebrew at all, you should recognize that word, hesed. It is the word in the Old Testament that the, the ancient Israelites used about God's love for his people. It means an unrelenting covenant love. An unending. Now remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. There's a word in Greek that matches up with the word in Hebrew. Can you guess what the word in Greek is? Agape. Unconditional love. Both expressions of love will unconditionally receive the repentant sinner into reconciliation with God. Hey, how are you doing with love lately? How are you doing right now with people you disagree with? About, I don't know, you pick the issue. How's that going? Because it's not going very well, as far as I can tell. How angry are you about the vaccine, anyways? Angry enough to die? How angry are you about all the stuff that these non-Christian people are making you do? Don't read more into what I just said today. I'm quoting Jonah. I've already told you, I'm not going to tell you if you should or shouldn't get the vaccine. So don't mishear me. But I wonder if your anger is godly. What's God been saying to you? Huh? No, I don't need to listen to that. I'm going to go sit on my hill and watch the place burn down. That's what I'm going to do. How's that going, church of God? Can I remind you of what God said to Jonah? May I do that, please? May I give you the reminder that we are to have the Creator's perspective on the people that we disagree with? May I do that, please? It's an important reminder that the people around us that we disagree with greatly were created by God Almighty. And He has an unrelenting love for them. How is your unrelenting love meter doing, church? Because what I see most of all, and I'm not just talking about New Life Church of God, I'm talking about Christianity in general, pretty much the United States. What I see most of all is just anger. It's not the way of God. You know what the way of God is? Loving people who have been created by God the Father. 
unrelenting love. That's the way. The other way is not correct. If you have unrelenting anger about all of these things that have been happening in our country in the past 18 months, I'm asking you in the name of God through the prophet Jonah to check yourself and listen. Because you're probably sitting on that hill with the sun scorching on your head. Are you having trouble hearing from the Lord lately? Might I suggest why? Because you've chosen not to listen. Again, don't read more into what I'm saying here. Are you just, just listen to the Creator's perspective on this situation. Can you see? Can you get yourself out of your situation and see the Creator's perspective on what's happening right now in this country and in the church? Can you see the Creator's perspective? Step out and look. Step out and look. The anger that is driving all of this division in our country is not of God. It's not of God. Would you like to know what is of God? Unrelenting love for the wicked is of God. Am I reading Jonah wrong? Because you know what I see in Jonah? The person Jonah. I see most of us. <laughs> it's interesting to me that we're so quick to say how bad Jonah is. What a bad example he is. Jonah was arguing that the wicked should be punished. And almost everybody in here, when I said that question at the beginning, was like, yes, 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 punish the wicked, yes, yes. That's all we need to do, punish them. We need to set them wicked straight for God. Set them straight. I agree to a point, but the way we do it is all important. The way we do it, it matters. Hesed, agape, that's us. Did you need that reminder? Because I did. I didn't expect that to be about Jonah. When I started this series, I was just like, if I preach through Jonah, maybe people will volunteer for KFC. That's where I started this sermon series. Well, that worked well. That wasn't where God was going with Jonah, was it? God was going someplace so much more important. New Life Church of God, the moment that we lose the Creator's perspective on the people in this community is the moment we might as well close the doors. I'm reminding you as strongly as I can, we must see people the way God does and get out of this loop that we're stuck in, this angry loop about our own needs and our own wants and our own liberties. We've got to get out of that and see the God's perspective on all of this around us. People are going to hell around us. Where are we, church, in this? Are we standing back saying, well, I'm saved, so I guess I'm good. You may still feel 
like this is a terrible ending to the book of Jonah. Paul Harvey used to have a radio broadcast and he said the rest of the story. I, as a kid, used to love listening to Paul Harvey. His little, his little two-minute clip was good, but the one in the afternoon that was the rest of the story, that's the one I really waited for. Because he would spin this whole story. You remember that? And how you just got pulled into the story. And then at the very end, he would tell you this thing that was just like, that's wow! It's the rest of the story. Next Sunday is the rest of the story. Yes, we're done with Jonah. But we're not done with the story. We might get to hear just a little bit more about Nineveh in the book of Nahum, the minor prophet, for next week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that we would be a group of people that responds to you when you start a dialogue with us. Lord, when you have tapped our shoulder or flicked our ear, or God, when you have, when you have spoken to us, when you've gotten our attention, it is my prayer that this group of people in Bertha, Minnesota, would turn and speak to you who we really are and how we really feel so that we can receive from you your word. May we not be a people that turns away from you and goes and sits on the side of the hill and is angry without listening to you, Lord. It is my prayer that we as a church would be ever listening and ever responsive to you, God, so that we can be a people who hand out your unrelenting, unconditional love to the wicked people that desperately need to hear from you and repent so they can find true life. In Jesus' name, amen.